0: Better Together and As We Podcast for future reference as we, as in A S W E, stands for the Alzheimer's Society of Windsor and Essex County. Uh, this podcast will feature engaging conversations uh, with guests ranging from community leaders to care partners and persons living with dementia to raise awareness about this disease. You're listening to Better Together, an As We podcast, and this is our 15th episode. My name is Cindy Keogh, and I'm joined today by Rose Russell. Rose is an education and support coordinator here at the Alzheimer's Society. Rose has been with us for many years and has been a part of many career and life changes as well. Thank you so much, Rose, for being here with me today. I'm so excited for everyone to get to know you a little bit
1: better. <laughs> Thank you, Skindi. <laughs>
0: Thank you. So I want to start off um, with just... Um, you telling us a little bit about yourself. So your home life, family life, um, schooling, and yeah, let's start there.
1: Okay, I'll do my best. Um, I am um, privileged to come to be from a family of 10. So I'm number eight of 10 um, brothers and sisters and uh, was raised not very far from the Alzheimer's Society and uh, so that's kind of um, intimate little detail because our playground was the Willistead uh, not too far from the Alzheimer's Society so it's like coming home but before I came home I um, did my education in nursing at the University of Windsor a long long time ago Cindy <laughs> a long long time ago but I I um I didn't practice nursing in Ontario um, until, you know, 2005. um, I married um, Dan Russell and we moved out west and we lived there for 25 years. So that's where um, my acute care nursing experience took place. My community health nursing took place. We raised two children and we moved a number of places in British Columbia and had wonderful experiences um, as a family, getting to know that wonderful province and uh, making friends and, and connections. And and um, so in terms of my own experience, uh, a wide variety of nursing experience. And um, so here you're wondering, and sometimes I wonder, how did we make it back to this amazing place of Windsor, Ontario, um, Essex County? My father used to call it good old Essex County. But my husband was transferred to Ontario, London, Ontario. So we spent seven years there. and then here, here we are moving back home, really, because this is where both Dan and I uh, were raised, uh, and, and our children are not too far away—one, our daughter and her family in Pittsburgh, and our son and his young family in London, Ontario. So, so your kids
0: were never <laughs> raised in winter, or they were already grown up; they were already adults. At right. that time back. Wow. Great question.
1: Yes, when we moved to London, our son Thomas was uh, finishing, our uh, finished high school, entering college, and our daughter Jill entered grade 10. So both kids were born in Port Hardy, British Columbia, uh, very north end, uh, the north end of Vancouver Island, but their formative years were in the Fraser Valley, in uh, Kamloops, uh, British Columbia, and Abbotsford, British Columbia. And um, and so thinking about the, the nursing career altogether, um, I have 39 years, but 32 were in are in nursing, and seven were spent um, very happily as a school teacher, as an elementary school teacher. So part of my journey out west was returning to the university, Simon Fraser University, and uh, had a, a great pleasure of, of teaching. Uh, grade sevens and then mostly grade twos and an experience with kindergarten. So quite a shift, but it was a a, a really wonderful experience. <laughs> I know.
0: Wait. So how did that come about? You you
1: <laughs> let me just get this straight. Okay. So
0: you went to University of Windsor here, and then yes. you got married. Yes. You moved out yes. to BC right. and started your nursing career there. You'd never worked as a nurse in Windsor.
1: No. no. And
0: then throughout that journey as a nurse you became a teacher there
1: yes um so yes (laughs) i i my so um my nursing career included um of course acute care experience as a new grad and um and then a lot of community care experience and i think that that really kind of awoken my desire to to offer you know supportive education it just really tapped into something that i didn't really think that i would be interested in or would be effective in or good in but i did uh, was accepted uh, at simon fraser university and it was just pure gift uh cindy and uh, everyone thought i was why are you doing this but it just was really uh, this desire to to um, offer education, and and at that time it was little children, and so they were much more of a gift to me than I probably helped them. But um, so it was a real shift, mm-hmm. and then um, a real gift. It was pure gift. And then when we got transferred to London, Ontario, I did have the privilege of uh, working in a kindergarten classroom, and then. Um, made that transition back to nursing, if you can imagine. So that was my first experience uh, working in Ontario as a registered nurse. And uh, there I was, landed in a very large, very um, incredible um, health facility, long-term care facility home in London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> oh my so goodness! I'm probably skipping a lot, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs>
0: how How many years were you at uh, Simon Fraser University for?
1: It, it, at that time, uh, Cindy, it was one. If you had an undergrad degree, uh-huh. which I did in nursing, um, plus uh, plenty of experience um, and volunteer work and coursework, and they accepted me into their teaching college they called it professional development program at this time at that time wow uh, that's amazing it was it really was i and i think about all those children that changed my life and they're all grown adults taller than me i'm sure and uh it was really wonderful and uh, so i you know here i am back on holy ground good old essex county and um winding down i'm retiring uh, september 1st so a total of 39 years and uh it's time to dust off some different ambitions uh, maybe take a nap but dust off some ambitions
0: <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking forward to
1: um for your, re- your retirement well, to, to make those more frequent connections with, with our children and um, uh, doing some traveling within our beautiful country of Canada and uh, seeing the East Coast. We saw lots of the West Coast. So now we're looking forward to that and um, just, you know, reconnecting with my community maybe on a more regular basis and uh, nothing, yeah. Nothing too urgent quite yet, but it's coming up quickly and I'm excited. It
0: is, it's coming up so quick. like the summer seems like it's already flying by even though the weather doesn't look like it but
1: no no, it really and it does do that and time does fly as we get older i remember our parents saying that it's going to go we always wished that we could be 18 or 19 now i just wanted to slow down so that i can really um savor savor the moments Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, so you said your one uh your daughter lives in pittsburgh
1: and her husband and their two children <laughs> uh, that's where they met was in college there
0: wow so, okay yes, yes and then your yeah. son lives in London
1: Mm-hmm. son lives in London with his wife and their new baby uh, who's four months old almost and uh, yes so he stayed there and quite liked it and uh, and that's a good place he found his way and it's a very good job and they found their life together and it's not too far up the 401 no not at all
0: how far is pittsburgh for you
1: depend who drives five and a <laughs> half if dan's driving six if i'm driving <laughs> but yeah it's pretty straightforward around the great lakes there yeah
0: and now that the borders open it or opened up it's easier for you guys to travel across and
1: yeah Couldn't and go visit. It better. yeah it's much safer and and uh, Yeah, the systems are in place to make it easier for everybody and safe for everybody so thank you for asking that I hope that was uh, no
0: that's that's honestly so exciting Rose makes people Um, dizzy when I explain it so yeah because I I knew that you were a teacher wait I knew that you were a nurse and a teacher at some point so I never heard of this like the story till now so it's just amazing
1: (laughs) to um to hear about it how old were your kids when you went back to school um they were in elementary school um but old enough to help me with my homework in preparation ah! they <laughs> were so amazing so supportive as was Dan and um uh, I have a lot of good memories about them um helping me and helping me in the classroom and uh but yes so they were in um elementary school mm-hmm. early, so- early years
0: you say that you're retiring um, from here. Are you also retiring from the school board as well, or was that oh, yes. already done? Okay.
1: Yes, I did that in London. Thanks for asking, Cindy. Yes, yeah, okay, so I retired see. from from the uh, Catholic school board in London, and uh, now it'll be official as a registered nurse, no longer.
0: <laughs> wow. And so now I want to go back to how you you came about with the Alzheimer's Society. How that all came into.
1: Uh, full, full circle for you. Uh, a pure gift, it really was. Um when we landed in Essex County, um I had thought um that the best fit for me would have could be an end-of-life care or palliative care, of which I had um sort of really dove into a lot of professional development education when I lived in London. And as well as um, the seven years of experience um, working with and side-by-side colleagues who supported people living with dementia. So it was kind of a combined desire. Truth be known, I had um, uh, some family members that reached out to me you, you know, after moving back and said, you know, I see the Alzheimer's Society when, you know, we're in Walkerville and that's your old stomping grounds. Why don't you stop in? And all the rest is history, to be honest. And um, and so I've gratefully uh, accepted the position here as education and support coordinator. Mm-hmm. And this um, August would be my 10th year and what a, a gift it's been and a privilege. I've said that from day one and it has continued to be that way for me personally and um, the opportunity to offer support and education. That's such a great big um, area that has so many facets to it, but uh, persons living with dementia and their supportive care partners, community care partners, etc. And uh, so have you have you always
0: (laughs) been an education support corner here or your roles changed or. Oh, right.
1: (laughs) Yes. My peer role has always been education and support coordinator. I'll call it an additional hat, perhaps. Um, So my core peer role has always been education support coordinator. For a period of time, um, a role was developed as team lead. So Mm -hmm. I had the privilege of working with my colleagues in that role. And again, it's always that way in life that your team members help you, guide you. My mentors help guide me more than what I um, offered them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did work really well as a team. So additional hats, though, um, were through the incredible. Um, I just want to touch base for a moment um, about the opportunities that have been provided to me, offered to me during my 10 years here um, to help guide and just really flourish um, my desire to offer support and education to people living with dementia. So. Everything from gentle, persuasive approaches, GPA training, to um, umpteen, different examples of palliative care training, additional education um, specific to end of life. I'm having the privilege of seeing a number of guest speakers, um, pre- specifically I, I wanted to share about one that was really, um, not that the others weren't, but this particular experience was life-changing, meeting, greeting, um, speaking with Naomi File the founder, uh, a gerontologist, but a founder and development of validation therapy. So myself and and, uh, some of my colleagues had the privilege of meeting her. And she really just kind of consolidated that passion for what is all that's good about validation therapy when meeting a person living with dementia. Um, And what I'd like to do is just give some context Um, You know, and I'll say the year I graduated, (laughs) 1983, Um, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know about how to be and how to give people with dementia, offer them our attention. We were focused on orientation, you know, uh, and that was really important that each person was oriented to time, person and place. Um, no matter what a context that would be, whether it's acute care, community health, and But you can understand that there were people living with dementia in all areas of where my nursing experience took place. Mm-hmm. And so, that was the that was the you know the the education of the day. That was the understanding of the day. So if a person uh, living with dementia, you know, would a- approach myself or anyone else, we thinking perhaps it's Christmas, and we were, it was July in our reality. And so it was our job to make sure that, you know, Mrs. Smith, for example, really knew and we told her, well, no, Mrs. Smith, it isn't Christmas, it's July 4th. But we did her such a disservice because I remember so many people becoming upset about that you know well no it's not and and or i'm searching uh, where are my kids i need to find i need to get home i need to get to work all these memories in my mind happen and we just didn't have the skill set the understanding of what really they were trying to tell us that is their underlying feelings so And we didn't mean harm by reorienting. we thought that was what was important and and it would make them help them make them feel safe. That was our goal. And but it didn't really make them feel safe. And so thinking about those changes over 32 years and currently, it's explosive, the amount of powerful um, information and education that I and my colleagues, people that I've worked with, have had, especially at the Alzheimer's Society, of Windsor and Essex, to grow and understand how to offer person-centered care. So the key term I wanna say is two pieces. Validation therapy is a way to offer person-centered care. How? We meet them where they are. For example, a person, has shared with me you know i need to go home the kids are kids are coming home i need to get to them i know that they're grown up and they have kids of their own i know that but that doesn't matter she is anxious restless she's a mom so her role is a, mom, a homemaker and it was very important for her to be there on time so with validation therapy i was able to learn how to take a moment give that person they're under my undivided attention Mm -hmm. and just say, tell me about your, your kids. You know, I bet you are an awesome mom. Just meeting her and giving her that attention. What in time happens, thanks to validation therapy, thanks to person centered care is eventually I can guide her back to this reality and bring her perhaps to a place where there's other people. And place where she feels comfortable, place maybe where there's coffee or donuts, someplace where she would usually likes to be. Mm -hmm. But not until I gave her that attention and recognized that she was upset and validated that she was upset. I didn't, you know, dismiss her. I just, and it only took a few minutes. So it's so incredible how much we've learned about what person-centered care can look like, what it can sound like, what it can feel like. Uh, so I get a little bit. <laughs> no, that's honest, about it, but
0: it's amazing. I think everybody should hear about this. Um, everyone should know about this. All right. So validation, I feel, is so important. And it's just when you're talking about it, it just it's giving me flashbacks of conversations I've had with um care partners and um. I'm excited for them to hear this, um, this part in the podcast, because they need to hear this.
1: And when, thank you, by the way, um, and I think of partners in care. And I, I, you know, and my colleagues have heard me said this, say this, and I, I, I heard it from um, uh, a community partner at the hospice and it really resonated with me um, Mm -hmm. in our role as education and support coordinator is to offer to just bring a little bit of light into their homes. And the first time we meet them, the second time we meet them, the third time, doesn't matter, but just a little bit more light. Why? So that we can even um, just... Offer them partners in care that encouragement, that genuine encouragement, that they're doing the best they can. There's just never any doubt about it. But what I find from care partners, this strong desire for them to be able to reason, to bring them back, so that they're okay, that it's that they understand that the world around them and and that's all real. That's all pure love or compassion. Mm -hmm. But when they see the benefits to validation, it it really does waken them up. (laughs) And they say that, not that they were asleep, but they say, wow, I didn't really see how that was going to work. And what does it look like when something works? It means that the person living with dementia calms a little bit, and they are more comfortable in their environment, and they feel maybe safer not that they didn't feel safe before but someone's really listening to them, and so when the care partner sees that it's a Mm win-win isn't it like the way I look at it because they can also be calmer and they can also have that positive interaction with their daughter or son brother sister mother father yeah
0: I totally agree with that you can really feel a difference when someone feels safe Um, huge difference. There's
1: another aspect I wanted to mention to it uh, in terms of the the huge shift in um, approaches to people living with dementia and partners in care since um, 1983 is what I'd like to talk about is even person-centered language um, or looking at them in, we thought we were looking at them in a holistic manner. We really did, to be fair to us. But there were elements that we missed. But now we're on a springboard. It's only going to just develop, uh, you know, in a greater, greater way. What I'm trying to say, or what I've learned, is called the pieces of a person. So um, we have education here that and offered to care partners, uh, persons living with dementia, healthcare providers, community partners to help understand a person living with dementia in that piece's model. It's a similar to a holistic model. Looking at them in in all of these different parts of who they are. So as what does person-centered look like? Well, it would look like if Mrs. Jones will say, dressed in this particular outfit, then that's what she liked. And that's her choice. And it, person-centered care would be to support her in that. Even though people thought it was mismatched and it wasn't 100% appropriate for the weather, where she was, was cool and she was safe and she picked it out and she did it herself and she chose it herself. So, hey, that is what it's all about. Right, that's maybe a humble example, but another example of the huge shift towards person-centered care is how we regard people. I regard her as she wants to be regarded, Mm -hmm. and I find that out from either her, or her family, or my colleagues. And so that is a very humble example, but such a powerful example. What we've learned not to label people because of perhaps, perhaps some of their uniqueness, perhaps some of their, uh, as a result of dementia, perhaps they have certain behaviors, mm-hmm. but underneath that behavior is, there, is a need they have. So instead of trying to get them to stop tapping on the table, which is annoying everyone, we try to determine, well, what's does that person trying to tell us by the tapping? Are they hungry? Are they lonely? Are they anxious? Mm -hmm. Are they, you know, feeling some discomfort? So this is what the pieces model does for us is not make assumptions, never make assumptions, never judge, but try to find out why. And I think that because of what we know about the, the, um, impact of dementia so many losses that occur and and challenges that they have in expressing themselves verbally some as a disease progresses they'll express their needs non-verbally body language so we get to know these people looking at how they want to be regarded the clothing that they wear the food that they want or that's culturally sensitive the spirituality that they practice all of these these are just some examples of what we need to do to find out, to find out about these persons, Mm -hmm. people, human, because everybody has human needs. It's a universal experience. And, And people with dementia have the exact same needs but they have so so much trouble expressing them. They have so much trouble meeting them on their own. They need our help. And woven into the first link learning series that we offer mm-hmm. is is exactly those models of approaches. Um, pieces being one of them, um, and other models to assist care partners to look at their person that they're supporting in those ways. And I tell you, without exception, I'll say. Um, when we look together and care partners share with me about the person they're supporting, they learn so much. They didn't realize two things, how much they knew about them Mm -hmm. and how much they realized that they were doing. They just thought, oh, I'm used to it. That's, I do that every day, Rose, but it's a big deal when we look at it from the lens of a person-centered approach. And it makes them feel so proud and really um, validated because we'll mm-hmm. we have to validate the care partners too.
0: I feel like this pieces model um, would benefit everybody as a whole, especially um, even parents that are raising young children because absolutely, absolutely. it all and correlates. It all makes sense. If you, yeah, um, it really I,
1: does. It everything does. you're saying
0: about it, I'm like, it, it basically could be <laughs> taught
1: to everybody. And isn't that the best? Um, I think of teachers' college, you know, and then we know that about science as well. When you can repeat it, when it can be repeated and, and shared in a, dif- in a larger context, you know that the, the approach is, 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 is perfect. Yes. <laughs> it, and that it can be repeated and applied to children, teenagers, adults, um, humans, right? Mm -hmm. and and that's so everybody wants to be heard right
0: so you've been at the Alzheimer's Society for you said is it seven or ten years
1: ten years (laughs) coming up to ten years in August so I'll be um yeah it's it's the timing is 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 wonderful in that and um I'm hoping to be, uh, I, I know that there'll be a wonderful, um, person in this chair, so to speak, that will really, um, keep the momentum going, mm-hmm. um, and seek out opportunities. Um, this amazing place, Alzheimer's Society of Windsor-Essex, if you have the burning desire, the support is there. You re- it really is. And uh, so I'm, I'm just confident that, um, They'll be young and, and uh, younger and, and just keeping up that momentum in um, in the desire, in the passion and, um, you know, the, the goal of, of um, person-centered care. For
0: the last 10 years, um, I would say, actually, the last two years of your 10 years here, we've been in a pandemic. Yes. Um, it's been very difficult for everyone uh, to adjust and just, you know, um, do their programs very differently. What was something very challenging um, for you during this pandemic or that you saw um, our families, care partners, clients, you know, going through because of all of the changes?
1: I'll speak about um, the, um, what we heard, what we felt from partners in care was indeed the impact. Of isolation, and particular social connections, in whatever that might look like, um, a one-on-one even, or um, the change um, because we did press pause mm-hmm. on all our programs and the face-to-face, and that was, you know, in the um, in the complete shutdown. So we heard from the get-go. Um, In terms of the shutdown, that experience for both care partners and persons living with dementia. And we knew it in our heart as well, because those were our clients. Those are who we knew benefited from what we had to press pause for. But we really needed to um, examine. And we did in a very quick, in a very rapid way. And so in a very rapid way, in the midst of the shutdown where we paused our client programs, the respite program and the day program and our face-to-face education and support visits from the, from our desk, our um, office visits, our, we were essentially shut down in terms of a, a building mm-hmm. and what we could offer. Um, so we shifted very quickly to two things. <laughs> um, one, one, being able to um, mobilize virtual opportunities. And as you can imagine, Cindy, or as you experienced in your own role, that that that, uh, platform isn't suitable for everyone. It doesn't meet everyone's needs, it just, um, it is, not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so we did mobilize that um, opportunity to meet uh, Zoom, to have opportunities for conversations with care partners, for education and support. Uh, we moved our caregiver support groups um, very quickly into the platform, uh, sorry, of, of uh, virtual. And um, then we mobilized what at that time was called the reopening committee, of which Every level of um, support was uh, present on these committees from our CEO, our leadership team, um, uh, education support, our um, client program supervisors, everyone was invited, no matter where they worked, administrative staff, and of course, frontline staff were invited to be part of what um, was then called the reopening committee. And we worked together on small teams, little think tanks, and um, with the guidance, the strict guidance of our of our public health um, um, umbrella and our local public health and our provincial public health, we developed ways and means to move towards reopening. Because of what you said earlier, Cindy, um, about the impact of what Mm -hmm. we knew was real and what we knew we needed to in as quick a way as we could in the safest possible way to reach out and offer something for respite or some kind of social experience for our care partners and persons living with dementia. We had um, structured timelines. We had incredible support from the uh, senior leadership and the CEO, uh, Sally. It was very, it was really a powerful experience for me to be part of. And we worked tirelessly um, and it took time because we weren't rushing anything Mm -hmm. because we wanted to do it right. Why? So that And we didn't know there was going to be a second shutdown, but it was the goal, um, again, supported by our leadership, that when we reopen, we want to do it right. So Mm -hmm. we don't have to shut down again. We've got the systems in place. We've got the PPE. We've got the processes in place. We've got the education for the appropriate people in place, support for the frontline staff. So we didn't have to shut down when the second, second shutdown took place. We called it status quo, cautiously status quo. But we could still offer one shift, one respite shift per week for our care partners. And we could still offer a day program to six clients, six persons living with dementia.
0: Mm-hmm. Isn't it wild when we all wow. left the office? We're like, oh, we'll, well be yeah. back in two weeks. <laughs>
1: That's what we thought. That's two we weeks thought. turned
0: in two years. And we're like, oh. And we're still kind of going through it um, yeah. right
1: oh, now. 100%. 100%. Yeah. We're now called um, the pandemic planning. So we're, uh, we we meet regularly. And of course, the, you know, the, the goals are to remain open, but to be to, you know, review the guidelines that are outlined by our, you know, provincial guidelines and local guidelines, and seeing if we're doing everything right and anything we need to change. But um, it was, um, we knew we were essential.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, g- collectively, we knew we were essential and that's what we work towards. Now that you said
0: that, now moving into the segue for this, why do we need each other? Why do people um, need people?
1: Well, your title of your podcast, really? I think they're better together. Yep. So, so why is that? Um, or is it better together? You know, people have perhaps different uh, perspectives on that um, it, a whole visual. Me being a very visual person, um, the way I look at it is, it, it's a really powerful theme that you have, by the way, for the, these podcasts. And I look at it from the from the lens of the the places that we enter, um, perhaps homes, apartments, condominiums. Uh, we used to go into retirement homes hoping we can still do that someday but different places that anybody can call a home doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be what we conventionally think where I'm going with that is that better together is a, a positive but it can be so creative it doesn't necessarily always have to be spouse or a, a sibling or a, a son or daughter, albeit that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But our care our community partners,
0: yeah.
1: our faith community, or people's faith communities, um, people's friends, people's neighbors, um, people at the grocery store. I have witnessed people living with dementia who live alone refer to them as family as Mm -hmm. people that are their support and so absolutely it's better together and then uh, taking it one step further is that it can look like so many different varieties and Mm -hmm. it can be equally as important to the person living with dementia and their care partners Um, especially I was thinking of community partners that I'm very connected to, in a happy and positive way, home and community care, community Mm -hmm. services, formerly called the Lynn, formerly called CCAC, hospice, um, life after 50, uh, you name it, uh, um, these are people that are very important in the lives of people living with dementia and partners in care. So, and so are, so are we as a privilege when we're invited into that circle of care, yep. but I'm always really mindful and really um, humbled by the amount of um, support that those other kinds of uh, community members can be
0: mm-hmm.
1: to people. and uh, and what they can offer. Again, I I think all of them have that same goal of just bringing a little bit more light into their homes, into their lives.
0: I feel that um, the community partners that we are in contact with, that we are close with and we work very closely with, um, are just so ready to offer support, offer guidance, offer any type of help um, when we reach out to them, which is amazing, Um, because it really does take a village um,
1: doing all of this couldn't have said it better, uh, Cindy. And um, when I think of these partners in care and what the Alzheimer's Society of Windsor and Essex offer, and I really accent that what we offer aligns with their goals,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not what I think is best for them. Uh, or going back to what we said earlier, calling Mrs. Smith Nona, it's not about that. It's what she wants to be referred to. It's their goals of care. What what i hope about my life and my desires to be independent to be able to walk freely or safely and freely in my community so all of these partners that we're referring to share that 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 philosophy and i If they don't, we encourage them to, because they see what we offer and and we kind of work in tandem. But again, I think the most important thing I want to mention about community partners, whether it's even a faith community or neighbours or friends, is knowing the goals and the desires of the person living with dementia and their partners in care. Really under and validating that. And they may be different from our goals. We may not see it the same, we may have all these red flags and trust me i have when i was a community health nurse 100 years ago in in bc and and oh i went to home and it was just chaos <laughs> but when i left and my mentor said okay this was what it was but what can you do as a nurse mm-hmm. and by the time she peeled me off the ceiling because i was young and inexperienced and immature I realized they're doing fine that's how they want to live that's their way of coping and who am i to judge and there were two things that i needed to do that's it mm-hmm. out of all the rant and rave i said oh my goodness they need to do this and that <laughs> so i know that that's me hopefully that makes sense but it was life-changing for me
0: and no it, it makes a lot of sense seriously it makes a lot of sense i i thought of my parents first thing when you said that because um yeah um you just learn to live in their reality their world you can't change you know um how they are or what they want to do you just have to support them and be there for them and love them
1: Exactly. right I think, um, you know, bringing a little light uh, was shared to me years ago, and I I tell it to my colleagues, and I use it in first-link learning series because it's so appropriate, but what a care partner told me years after (laughs) um, we met, and she said, you know, I went to your education series, and you know (laughs) what you told me, and I thought, oh dear, where what's this going to be, right? Did I talk too long? Was I, you know, all these fun, have many flaws, (laughs) right? But no, she said, you told me to plant the seed and to just continue to plant the seed and it and it might grow and it might not but she and I was so moved while I was tearful because it really caught me off guard and it was really beautiful to hear and I had said that and I do say that often Mm -hmm. and with uh, and try very hard to apply that in my own life too you know and uh, I think that that's something that um it obviously really resonated and it made, it made her feel safe that she was doing the best she could and that she didn't need to change him or her all at once, but she just maybe needed to see it from their lens of a person that was losing ground and was frightened. And, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Well, um, I just wanted to okay. say, Rose, um, when I first started here, I had the opportunity to sit in on your First Link Learning Series um, and- oh. I learned so much from you from that. Um, You made everyone around you feel safe. You made everyone around you feel valued. You gave everybody a safe space to, you know, share their thoughts and feelings. Um, And you made me excited to, you know, work here and be a part of this team. Um, Even to this day, I, a lot of our care partners are telling me, oh, I'm taking Rose's First Link Learning Series, or I'm going to be taking it. And I'm like, listen, it's, it's, the best thing you can do for yourself, and you'll learn so much from her. Um, but I just want to, and, and I, I just remember you—you you literally moved me to tears one session, and I'm just, like, oh my god!
1: Okay. No. I'll just reach for Kleenex now.
0: <laughs> no, Rose, honestly. Um, Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm, I'm gonna probably tear up right now. No, I—I I remember leaving the first. Session um, of your first Link Learning series. And Allison was in that session with me. And we just looked at each other like wow, like she is amazing. Um, you have this energy about you. Um, I can't even explain it. Um, you just make everyone want to gravitate towards you, and um, I think that's a very, very special quality, and Mm -hmm. you're just an amazing human being. Um there's no other way to put it. No other way. So rose <laughs> now that I now that I said that um, I want to thank you for being here with me today Absolutely. and doing this podcast with me. Um I know how much out of your comfort zone you are right now. Um but I I really really feel like um you know, clients, care partners, your colleagues, um, the community is really, really going to benefit from this. Um, awesome. And I'm so excited because I want them to know the rows that we all get to know <laughs> and work alongside. So um, I want to finish this podcast with fire rapid questions. These are all random. Um, if you could use one word, one sentence, and there's no right or wrong
1: answer. Okay. Are you ready? (laughs) All right.
0: (laughs) So the first question, if you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with that extra time?
1: Oh, um, ride my bike. (laughs) If I didn't have to sleep, I would be outdoors riding my bike in good old Essex County.
0: Number two, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: (laughs) Um only one um well um oh gosh it's hard i want to eat it's 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 comfort food (laughs) if my family ever see this they'll say oh rose but i love my mother's uh you know roast beef sunday dinners. so if i could it would be a comfort food but i would get to eat my dessert first
0: oh are you a dessert you eat your dessert first always or i've never i've never
1: been allowed but i would like to one day (laughs)
0: so i actually had a conversation with my friend i was like you know i just want to start eating my dessert before dinner and then he's like you do and i was like yeah because we weren't allowed to do that growing up and now that i'm an adult i want to try it but it's never happened
1: no i can't do it i'm too you know that someone mom would watch me from heaven and i just thought oh i'll do it right."
0: I love the savoury though. I, I'm a savoury person over sweet, so um, I think that's probably why I haven't done that yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, what would your perfect Sunday look like?
1: Oh. Yes, well, um, it, it all, would always include, um, you know, going to our faith community. In, in Essex or Woodsley. And um, I would always really like that. Um, I was always really like to be outside in some time during that Sunday, whether it's walking uh, with our dog or riding our bike or my bike, um, something outside for sure. Or my husband's favorite is to meander in uh, the county and we call it going out to get lost but oh. it's so wonderful because you can't get lost it's just a little byway and a highway and so we really enjoy doing that as well as um to this day a, a special a special dinner it's always like that mm-hmm. on some days for us and, and are you to- cooking or are you going out to eat or ordering in No, um, my husband is a very, 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 very good cook. And so I tend to prefer to stay home. I do. And uh, it's really a treat, actually. And uh, so, yeah, so we generally stay in. That's awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. What could you give a
0: 40-minute presentation on with absolutely no preparation?
1: 40 minutes? Uh, Baking. (laughs) Quick Yay, on that one. one. I could whip up cookies and wow the crowd. And um yes, I should I should start doing that again. I have fallen off the wagon. And for people that might be listening, they're going to say, Yes, you have, Rose, <laughs> where are your cookies? So yeah, I could do that. It's it's right See, here. that's
0: a good balance. Your husband cooks, you do the dessert. Wow, yeah. that's a dream <laughs> team there. It's
1: not bad, not
0: bad. The last question: what's okay. the best piece of advice someone has ever given you?
1: well okay um two there's many but the two is growing up Uh, of course my parents um i have in my memory that they said accent the strengths i always keep the faith but accent the strengths in particular my father said that and then the other piece of advice ongoing and i've i've shared it in first link learning series is it sounds a bit strange, it's called show them the gold. And my mentor, my principal, and I I didn't know quite what she meant, because I was a new teacher. And what she meant was set them up for success, give them the tools they need for them to be successful in what they want to be successful in. And so I've said that to care partners. And, and when I explain a little bit, they get it. Instead of saying, well, they can't garden anymore. We say, hmm, can they? can they do it differently so we break it down and before you know it they've set them up for success in yeah. and so they can garden it just looks a bit different yeah. right but it's still gardening so that's what I would say. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm oh, Well,
0: thank really you nice. so much, Rose. Um, honestly, it was a pleasure speaking with you today and I'm so grateful, um, that you, you know, did this with me because like I said, everybody is going to appreciate mm-hmm. getting to know the Rose that we all get to, you know, work <laughs> alongside. Um, and I hope our listeners and clients and care partners, you know, um, Get to meet you and and talk to you because you truly are a wonderful human being, um, and I mean that with my whole heart. Because Rose, you literally make the workplace a better place. Well, thank, you. Um,
1: thank you. I don't want to cry. Right <laughs> <laughs> my father, my father will give my father the last word because he would say. With all your pluses and minuses, Rosie, you're okay. (laughs) But we all have pluses and minuses. Yes. And and it's not a judgment. It's all about balancing. So I appreciate this opportunity. Um, I was very nervous, but I appreciate it very, the opportunity very much. And thank you for your support, Cindy.
0: No, thank you so much, Rose. Um, So, hey, listeners, my call to action for all of you. How can you help educate yourself and encourage others to do the same? refer your friends and family to our services, support our events and fundraising campaigns and become a dementia friendly community. Let's keep talking about dementia. Listen to new episodes on the last Friday of every month on our YouTube channel, Alzheimer Windsor, and don't forget to subscribe. Help for today, hope for tomorrow. And remember we are better together. Mm. Thank you so much, Rose.
1: Thank you very much.